The New Vicar by John Eames I'll confess at the outset, I'm not an entirely admirable man. Well, I'll do myself a favour. I don't like squeezing myself into a mould. Regrettably, the modest freedoms I've allowed myself have, how shall I say, disappointed. Family, friends, myself. What you see before you then is a ragbag of experience with little sense of self-worth. I had a friend once who wished that life could be like a magic pad. Do such things exist anymore? You could write or draw on a kind of plastic sheet, and if you didn't like it, simply lift the sheet, erase what you'd done, start again. Mm -hmm. The brief delusion that you might reprise your life, return to go, with all the self-awareness that you gained with experience. That thought torments me. A greater torment throughout my life has been not knowing why I was doing things. Take school, for example. I was assiduous in my study of the Industrial Revolution. To this day, I could probably give you a riveting exposition on the transformational effects of the spinning jenny, but it was all self-contained in a box marked History. A box deposited on a modest set of head shelves to be taken down when required. In early adulthood, looking back, I could see what had been left out. The upheaval of cultural transition. The exploitation, one might say, mechanisation of desperately poor working people. The realities of economics. Not only were there needs to be met, but markets to be created, invented, one might argue. The birth of consumerism, maybe. The once dusty fair of the Industrial Revolution became far more interesting. It also gave me the sense that I had missed out the first time around. But how to revisit the experience, to know its essence? As the years have passed, so has my thirst for knowledge grown. Oh, for a magic chip to unscrew the lid of the skull and implant the knowledge of cultures unvisited, ideas unencountered, and open up visions of life's possibilities. Such reflections are agonising, but they are all within. They trouble me without disturbing the world. Worse has been the sense of missing out on relationships. And, yes, the eternally adolescent male, mistaking the mighty flood of new passion for genuine love. Mary was my first girlfriend, that unforgettable walk along the seafront, her promptings, the inevitably brief first experience of full sex. I was baffled when soon after she left me. Young, inexperienced and full of sexual yearning, I leapt to the conviction that I wanted true love, loyalty, marriage. And too soon I lived that narrative. My late teenage sweetheart became my wife, but just as lust had led me before, delusion led me then. Perhaps an act of parliament 
Prohibiting marriage before the age of 30 would allow for some green shoots of male maturity to appear. Optimistic? A pattern soon established itself. Passion, which I mistook for love. Commitment, which I believed would endure disillusion as incompatibility surfaced. Temptation, to which I succumbed. My sense that friends had enjoyed a blazing decade of lust before settling to a mature and companionable love is probably illusory, but had I been more playful and circumspect in my early romantic encounters, I just might have landed on the shores of a domestic paradise. I might not have left heartbreak, disappointments and broken dreams in my wake. One recalls Hugh Grant. I feel I must be where people are not. Well, dust settled. I'm not a recluse, but life's tapestry is not so rich these days. Passion cools. Reflection draws me inward. So where's this going? The new vicar. A couple of weeks ago, I was right behind her in the village spa. Hadn't seen the dog collar. My eyes were fixed on a finely nourished pair of buttocks. I'm not one for the tight twin shallots. I prefer the full handful you can squeeze when you're taking your pleasure. Perhaps sensing the indecency of my thoughts and my pre-Covidian proximity, she swivelled round. So sorry, am I holding you up? I apologised, as said I was straining to see the cut-price Merlot before reaching the till. Oh, you're the new vicar. The inane remarks seemed to clear suspicion. Are you a parishioner? Shall I expect you for the morning surface? Somewhat discomfited, I referred to an article in the local paper. I wasn't, I explained, a signed-up member, but I was an enthusiast of church architecture. Responded with impressive animation, she told me she had always been fond of the English perpendicular. Somewhat startled, I wondered if her calling made her entirely unaware of the ambiguity. But I confess to feeling what I euphemistically call stirrings. Then it was her turn at the till. She bade me joy of the Merlot as she waved herself off. The Sunday following found me watching a trickle of morning worshippers exchanging pleasantries as they sauntered away from matins. Sunshine had brought my new acquaintance to the church door to bid her flock a fond farewell. She saw me and beckoned me in. Unsurprisingly, I knew more about the church than she and was invited for coffee at the rectory as a reward. Noticing her collection of CDs, I told her of my enthusiasm for church music. Not, of course, in the often and ideologically dubious hymns, but the, the glorious composers. From Thomas Tallis to Bach, Handel, through to Benjamin Britten, John Taverner and the wonders of the latter-day female composers, such as Judith Bingham and Sally Beamish. I was startled to see a tear in the corner of her eyes. She felt me warming to my theme. Perhaps, she said, but no words followed. Seeking to cover her confusion, I ventured to ask her what kind of player she possessed. 
A Bang and Olufsen, she replied. They're so reliable. You always remember your first Bang and Olufsen, don't you? The new vicar was performed by Dermot Hill, with sound by Chris Condell. This was an Ilkley Playhouse production.